Welcome to the Power Play Podcast, where international cricketer Kyron Powell and marketing genius Jordan Shannon join forces, bringing you captivating conversations with the biggest players in cricket and business. Join us as we dive into the lives of current stars in the cricketing world, the legends before them, and those extraordinary icons whose performances changed the game in both cricket and business. Exploring journeys both on and off the pitch, the boardroom, and everything in between. Get ready for an exhilarating blend of cricket, life, and business insights with two insatiably passionate, infuriatingly no-holds-barred hosts who, unfortunately for the rest of us, live and breathe this stuff for a living. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 9 of the Power Play podcast. Kyron is joined today by former West Indies bowler and current superstar commentator Ian Bishop. I hope you all enjoy the show. So there was a little community there, but I've never really had an attachment since to where I built my home in West Trinidad in Port of Spain. So a lot of what I do is for my church, for my church community in Trinidad. I spend a lot of time in church uh, in those activities, and those were not just restricted to one particular area. Um, and my sense of giving back now is in trying to help any young person, any young player, being a mentor, being an advisor, uh, who else I can help along the way. So there isn't a, a sense of a local community for me because of the amount of travel that I've done. So it's just the wider context of who I meet wherever I go. All right. So obviously now, happily married man, tell us about the impact of your, your partner. Um, obviously, you should have been then your girlfriend at some point and now your wife has had on, on your life and on your career and how she's sort of impacted who you are today? Jan, um, wonderful woman of God. I, I knew her, I first knew her when I was about 14 years old from secondary school. She went to school a little further up the road, but I didn't meet her there. I met her when we went to church uh, through, again, my good friend, my older friend, who was more my brother's classmate than mine's and we were friends for or associates in church for about four or five years um talking and with her family and knew her family well and we didn't really go out together until i was about 19 and i was going to england for a club contract one year and the day before she was training to be a nurse and I thought she stuck in the Port of Spain hostel for so long and we were only friends. I thought I'd take her out for a meal um, and that's where it really started and she's been a huge asset in my life, keeping me grounded through all the injuries that I had during my playing career, us trusting God together, believing in God's destiny together. And we've been faithful to each other. That's one thing that I know that I know that I know. Um, since the first day that we dated, we've been loyal and faithful to each other all the way through. And I think that's important as a human being. Um, 
we've got two girls, one 20, who's gone off to study in Europe, and the other one is 13, the woman of the house, uh, Angel. And being away from home as much as I have Kay, um, she has been a strength. Uh, she's been a prayer warrior behind the scenes for me while I travel. Um, always reminding me of my connection to my Christian roots and my belief in God. And she's the one who really pointed me in the direction of media after I finished playing. She said, why don't you take up this option of going into the media, which was extended to me? And I didn't want to do it. I wanted to get as far away from cricket as possible. So I owe her a lot. And she's very patient through my faults, my mood swings and everything. She really is a rock. Well, I think I think um, obviously that's that's a great example for a young a young married individual like myself. I'm hearing hearing your story, hearing your your journey together, um, and your life through Christ, through your faith, you know, and how how that has bonded you along the way. Um, I think if we dive a bit deeper into it now, I want to understand how becoming a mm -hmm. father has affected you, because obviously mm -hmm. we know how becoming a husband changes you and that responsibility yes. but then you get kids and you have two daughters and we obviously know there's always a saying that fathers care for the daughters and mothers care for the sons um so how do you split your level of care having two daughters <laughs> it's tough being the only male in a female household um really hard because i think women tend to be the I think a lot more sensitive to what's going on around, whereas a man tends to not, I don't want to generalize too much, but tends to withhold emotions. I'm a person that doesn't show a great deal of emotion. And in a relationship, that's not necessarily the best way to be open. So I don't think being a father had this overwhelming impact on me. Suddenly I'm a dad, I have to do things differently. That didn't occur to me because I was always the type of guy who was very focused, first with my wife for seven years before we had kids. Um, just she's, she's, she's the center of my life. So there was no distraction with other women or anything like that ever. It was always her. That's the type of person I am, loyal uh, to my family. And then they came along and suddenly I got, I have to admit, I was a little bit scared because I thought, I'm having a kid. I want to provide everything in life that they could ever need. I don't want them to want for anything. And I'm sort of wondering, how am I going to do that for the next 20 years? So I was joyful, but also a little bit scared, conflicted in how I would be able to provide for them. But I've enjoyed the journey so far. It's been tough because I'm sort of a very rigid you have to study your work. You have to do your education. I don't want you doing this. I don't want you doing that. So I, the mistakes I made with the older one, I'm not making it with the younger one. But I love my family life. I, I really do. All right. So let's 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 move away from the family for a bit and go into life and, and the lessons that cricket has taught you along the way that you may have been able to apply into your everyday life and, and vice versa. Oh, look, you, you know all of these lessons, and I'm sure your viewership would, would understand. Cricket has taught me hard work. I, I love putting in work. So repetition was something that I always did a lot of when I was playing. 
I think I missed one practice session in my entire life playing first-class cricket and playing international wow. cricket. Because I turned up at the nets at the Queen's Park Oval one day and my arm just would not come over. It was like I had a mental block. And I said, to, I think Phil Simmons, Western East Coast, Phil, I can't make it today. I'm going home. This is too much. So that's, that's, that's sort of my rigid routine with everything. And even in broadcasting, I cannot turn up at a game of cricket now if I have not gone through the name of every player, their background, their stats. I feel disheveled if I don't complete every member of the team. So I'm very focused on hard work, sometimes too much. Um, preparation to me is from my clothing to my knowledge base. I'm not saying I'm the best at it. I'm just, this is my routine. And so I try to, to pass that down to my kids, but they're not into that sort of thing. My younger one says, I'm a YouTuber, dad. I'm going to be a YouTuber. I say, you still have to study your school. <laughs> right? So that cricket taught me hard work. It taught me the discipline of preparation. Uh, my faith in God has also kept me believing even when things have not gone the way that I wanted to care. I remember when I had my first stress fracture, I sat in my apartment and I cried at age 23. And my wife was sitting next to me and she said, don't worry, whatever God has started, he is able to finish. And I didn't really take it in at the time, but in the ensuing weeks and years, I saw God's hand move and, and that, has been a lifelong principle of the way I try to live, to trust God in every situation, and just to believe that if He put in the work, things will go. I, I love the way that you you constantly reference your your faith in God, because um, mm. obviously in the Caribbean, I'd say that we are predominantly um, a Christian a Christian region, um, but it's it's interesting that my wife being a British Sri Lankan is also from a very strong Christian family. And I think that the way that they are so devoted to, to Christianity and to God, um, it's, it's really, I would say, calmed me a lot. Um, in, right. in my older years, obviously I'm not extensively extremely old but <laughs> in 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 i'd say the past 45 years of my life it's it's definitely played a part um in calming me a lot more so i, I think i can relate to what you're speaking about um but i want to get some thoughts from you right now on the current state mm -hmm. of of mm -hmm. cricket um and Let's start with cricket in the Caribbean and go on to cricket globally. What are your, your thoughts on cricket? I think in the Caribbean now, okay, I mean, you, you are of this generation. And so you can perhaps provide greater brushstrokes to a wide discussion. Back in the day when I was coming, coming in, I sort of bridged two, two paradigms. The great paradigm of Richards, Greenwich, Haynes, Lloyd, although Clive, finished by the time I started, he was a manager of a team, where it was all about nationalism. It was all about projecting ourselves as a race of people of color onto the world scene and proving that we could sort of direct our own destiny. 
into a more globalized, bridging into a more globalized paradigm of young people who were focused not so much on that sense of nationhood, but more on the individualism and what could be derived from it. So I've seen those two, and then I've watched players like yourself come into an even more globalized world. So I, I think the sense of nationality that West Indians, older West Indians knew and played for and thrived for is no longer as concentrated. There's still some of it there. It's no longer as concentrated. So there's a challenge now with so much franchise cricket, Kieran. And I don't blame a player for taking a different route to franchise cricket to secure his family's financial well-being. I think that's a choice. If the guys choose to put West Indies first, that's also a choice. So I've made peace with that. But we have to live with that landscape now. It is a very, very complex landscape that we are all still trying to negotiate. Personal choice versus national choice or a bit of both. Um, but I don't think we can go about saying, you have to do this, you have to play for West Indies, or you, or you have to play franchise cricket. It's more nuanced than that. So, um, I personally think that for cricket to be sustainable, test cricket still needs to be number one. <coughs> I think that test cricket is in a really why? good... Why? Why? Can I ask? Go ahead. No, why? You tell me why. For me, test cricket is the paramount. You can have everything through a test match. So... In T20, you get all action-packed. In one day, you get a build-up, a bang at the end. Test cricket, you have a slow accumulation, but you can have every scenario play out through test cricket. Test cricket teaches you every aspect that you need to know that's transferable to any form of cricket. For me personally, Chris Gale was the best T20 batsman we've ever seen. But I don't think that people right. understand, and this is my opinion, why he was the best T20 batsman. Yeah. For me, it's because he understood how to play long innings in test cricket. So he knew right. how to build an innings in a T20 match where he could save his power and see off certain bowlers and attack at the end or attack through the middle, wait for certain situations to come up. This is a man that's got two triple centuries in test cricket that people don't speak about because of his prowess in T20 cricket. So I just think that test, right. test cricket needs to be given a lot more Priority. Not saying that um, T20 and one day shouldn't, um, but I just feel that you, you can learn a lot more on how to play every format of the game if you're a successful test cricketer. Your former opening partner, of course, with whom you've had wonderful partnerships, Chris Gale, so you would know from the inside. And I would agree, I love test cricket, but I'm thinking that's an anachronism and that's <coughs> my generation. Mm. Um, because what I see happening, Kay, is that more and more as we go through the next 10 years, I get the feeling that players more and more are going to drift towards white ball cricket and more so T20 cricket. I do agree that if you understand red ball cricket, particularly batting, your white ball cricket will benefit for all of those reasons that you just said. We've preached this, but I don't know how much of Generation X coming through will want to sit in front of a screen and watch a test match game for five days. I, I don't know beyond our generation because 
young people are watching highlights of, of cricket now. They're not watching games. They're using their phone to watch highlights. And life for them now is a highlight package. And so I'm wary of the future of test cricket in places like the Caribbean and other smaller nations. Social media has been a great advent, but you know, obviously everything everything in life has has its flaws. Um, and I think that that's right. that's one that has definitely impacted people's ability to concentrate for longer periods of time. You know, um, so we love it, we live with it, but you, you could still understand the yeah. flaws of, of, of these things. Um, but let's touch on T Twenty cricket a bit. It has a fun. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. No, no. No, I was more. just about to say no to expand on that point that you're making. Let's touch on a bit of T Twenty cricket because. Yeah. With, I, with the IPL rights exploding to the value that it did, with the IPL becoming now the second biggest sports league in the world, only behind the NFL, um, and this is just one domestic T20 league, obviously, as you said, players will start specializing, and in particular towards white ball cricket, which you can't complain or kill a, a player for wanting to provide better for their family, especially if they've come from an underprivileged society and with, with the right skyrocketing like that, each player's salary will only continue to increase as well over time. Um, and I think that the IPL is still in its infancy stage in, in terms of the growth that it can have. So I can definitely see an IPL, for example, becoming the biggest sports league in the world. And that's just um, a domestic league in India. You still have so many other T20 franchise leagues around the world that will benefit and piggyback off of the success of the IPL with media rights buyers not being able to get into the IPL and wanting to get into other leagues. So do you see cricket becoming a franchise-based sport, much like football, where players more represent one or two or three franchises per year and play for their country only in World Cups where test cricket becomes obsolete? Yeah, I think, I mean, you're putting that question to me, but I think the answer is already in there too, in that I, that's exactly how I can see this going with the IPL extending its time, extending its finances. There's only a limited portion of, of players that can pick up contracts, let, let's be fair, right? But I can see more and more players giving away international cricket to spend that two months playing in the IPL, securing their financial futures. And that's their right to be able to do that. Um, Sri Lanka have started their own T20 league. And hopefully that situation in that country will rectify itself to the betterment of everyone. Um, big up to Sri Lanka's cricketers as well for doing what they did in the test match against Australia and the one day series as well in the midst of the adversity. South Africa, have just cancelled an ODI tour to Australia because they want to start their own T20 thing again at that point in January 2023. So I see more of a compartmentalization of international cricket in one segment of the year and franchise cricket perhaps in one segment of the year. So I definitely see it possibly going <coughs> the football route. And I think that's, I don't know, It'll be beneficial to, to a lot of guys, Kay. But I, I see guys like Craig Brathwaite, for example, who are specialist test match and red ball players 
who I hope will still have their time in the limelight, given what they do. Just Craig it. Dean Elgar from South Africa as another example. Guys who specialize in red ball cricket. So I think there's room for everyone still in the landscape. So how do you see the ICC or the respective governing boards playing a role in this um, in terms of where can they get finances from to obviously not match but keep players interested in playing international cricket, maybe globalizing the game a bit more? like FIFA, because cricket being the second largest sport in the world, is still only played in a handful of nations when you compare it to football. So there's so much more that could be untapped in terms of finances for cricket to sort of get more revenue in and keep players interested across the board. Having, having had a little bit of a dip in my hand in administration, being on a cricket committee here and there at the ICC, et cetera, et cetera, I, I know some, but I don't know the full workings of the economics of the game. What I will say is that lesser, smaller nations like New Zealand, West Indies, Sri Lanka, etc., need the assistance of the bigger countries. I know, I know our good friend Michael Holding has always made the clarion call for the ICC to have a pool, an economic pool, a financial pool, to help to subsidize those smaller nations, especially where red ball cricket is concerned. Because when Chris Gale and Dwayne Bravo and Kyron Pollard Shimon Hetmeyer spent so much time, understandably, Russell Narayan at the IPL and franchise leagues, the nation suffers. Similarly, New Zealand seemed to have found a way to appease everyone. So I think there can be a little bit of a subsidization to these smaller nations from somewhere to create some equity, to be able to pay or lift the salary level scales of the international players, so it still becomes attractive. But I still feel that T20 cricket <coughs> is going to be the vehicle that drives, the that drives a lot of things going forward. Whether we like it or not, I think society is moving in that direction. All right, Bish, let's let's step away from cricket a bit. Let's let's talk about the uh, the, the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, obviously, right. we've seen when the West Indies play in certain areas, um, to some extent when South Africa play in certain areas, they take a knee. Um, what are your thoughts on, on the Black Lives Matter movement, on, on racism in sport, in society, and what can we do to stamp out and educate other countries, other players, our neighbors, our friends about our, our plight as, as black individuals, black men in society, what are your thoughts? Mm. Uh, as far as the, the actual movement of Black Lives Matter, I I am neither here nor there. That's not what I associate with. I, I more associate with the principle of what is being fought for. Um, and I think having personal experience myself in terms of where I live, the travels that I've made, I see a lot of inequality still taking place. And it may not be as ostentatiously done as in times past. So it's heavy on my heart. And, and we have a, 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 a colleague, of course, in Michael Holding, who we've both known for some time, who is very passionate about it. And I share his sentiments and his passion in that as people of color, we have to come together more key. And, and whether it's in economics, 
whether it's in cultural life and take advantage of our great skill of our great ability to entertain or to go into business and be world changers in those aspects that's something that drives me right just for this example anything you ask me what cricket has taught me and to a fault anything that i go into now i want to be the best at it i don't always for example in broadcasting i don't always want to be right my my drive is not to be right i want to always say the right thing there's a difference there i'm not gonna bully anyone to being right but i always want to be able to have the wisdom to say and do the right thing i want to maximize my ability and that is my encouragement to young cricketers that's why i like you guys so much and i will always encourage your generation instead of coming down on them because i know where we've come from you know where you've come from i know where we've come from i know that there are a lot more so i won't tell a guy he's doing well when he's not doing well but i'll find a way to encourage him because we have to fight for equality globally we have to be mentors we have to to lift each other up and pull each other forward because i'm telling you you look at what's going on in the us i am all for the principle of trying to create greater equality and equity in life. It, it's not necessarily a Black Lives Matter thing, but the principle of equality for people of color. I think that um, personally, as you said, um, you've had you've had experiences. I've, I've had experiences as well. I think um, mm. having, having gone to boarding school in, in the UK from the age mm -hmm. of 14 um, and having been in the Caribbean up until that point, in a predominantly black Caribbean society, I was not aware that, you know, these things were out there and to be exposed on your own at boarding school, um, at 14 years old, you, you don't get to go home and speak to your parents about it. You don't get to go home and, you know, talk to your friends about it. It's, it sort of makes you grow up and mature a lot faster and be open to the ways right. of, of the world when you're not protected by by mommy and daddy at, at such a young age, um, so I think I think um, yeah, the, I definitely agree with you in the Black Lives Matter movement itself um, is completely neither here nor there for me. But what what they are trying to achieve, or what I believe, what I perceive they are trying to achieve, um, I'm definitely for that um, because, as you said, we 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 have to start from further behind the starting line and we have to run further past the finish line in most instances to even have a fair chance of competing um, with other people that are given a head start so it's it's not fair it's the hand we've been dealt but there's no point crying about it now it's, it's as you said pooling together our resources and trying to see how we can make a better fist of it a better fight as a collective to to move our agenda and yes. our people and the next generation forward. And, and that doesn't mean, Kay, and that, that doesn't mean that, let's say, a Caucasian person hasn't had to work for the stuff that they had. I don't want them to feel that they don't have to work or they haven't had hard times in life. But I saw someone make a statement the other day. They said, the disadvantage for people of color is that you can be discriminated against 
solely based on the color of your mm. skin. And that is what we have to battle against, that discrepancy. So I would want to encourage all the young colleagues of yours who will be tuned into this, young people from any walk of life, let's work. Don't sit and wait for anything to come your way. As, as you know very well, you've worked your tail off to get where you want to go. Let's work. Let's not be lazy. Let's put in the time. Let's 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 talk about education and investment now. Um, I'm from a family where my father was a teacher, my mother was a teacher, my sister was a teacher. All have gone on to become different um, professionals in society. Um, my father-in-law is a civil engineer. My wife is a lawyer. Um, so, you know, I've been surrounded in my very close circle by professionals that all believe in education and have been preaching to me the importance of education. Um, having spent a lot of time with my grandmother as well, um, as most of us do in Caribbean societies, um, grandparents play quite a huge role in, in raising children. You know, my grandmother was a staunch advocate for education and athleticism are probably the only two things that can change your socioeconomic standing um, from where yeah. we come from in, in the Caribbean. Um, and she, my grandmother actually had an MBE awarded to her before her death from the Queen um, based on services in society, um, being a teacher as well. Um, and you couldn't speak local dialect to her. You had to speak properly. Um, you had to dress properly. Once I didn't get water from her because I said, Granny, I want water instead of Granny. Please can I have water for six hours? I had to wait six hours until I said, please, to get a glass. And as soon as I right. said, please, she ran to the kitchen and got the water as if the cactus tree was about to run out of water and wilt had um so i think that um that that th those little life lessons were obviously important yes. um but education yes. in the sense that i'm going now it's more along the lines of players now making a lot more money than players used to make um what do you think or what advice do you have for this generation of players in terms of educating themselves on how how to save this money and also how to invest this money for future generations of their family because obviously they couldn't have worked this hard to make whatever amount of money a player an individual has made and just spend it all and the other generations don't have a, a better starting point than what the parents do. It'll take great discipline and I'm still in that learning phase myself even uh, post playing career. Um, there was something I think that you sent me and there's something I've known for NBA players, a large percentage of whom go broke uh, five or ten years after their careers ended make, having made millions of dollars. So two things. Um, I'd say to young players, please try not to live above your means while you're playing. That's number one. All the brands and stuff are good, but don't let it sort of envelop your life because they're transient. They come and they go. That is not who you are. Who you are is your character, your personality. Um, get someone on board. And that, this is the hard part for me that at night, trusting someone to give you advice and to help to manage your finances. 
because being an all-rounder in cricket is one thing, but being an all-rounder yes. in life and understanding economics, unless you have an education guided towards that, is a different speciality and skill. So live a level life, but invest in something. Fine, whether it's property, from the very moment you start, find those investment vehicles that you can put something away and live within your means. There's a lot of time, Kay, as a cricketer, to study, you know, I only realized that after I yeah. stopped. You can do online study on tour because you have so much downtime, you know that, on reflection. And you can get a degree if you <coughs> take an online course, a degree in something over the course of your cricket career, whether it's three years, five years, 10 years, and educate yourself so you have a fallback option. My daughter says she wants to be a YouTuber. I said to her, yo, I'm not stopping you from being a YouTuber. I'll buy you all the cameras and everything. But your part of the deal is to do your schoolwork to the best of your ability. So it helps you to understand the business aspect of what being a YouTuber is. So I stress it. And I love, I love your family. I love the fact that your grandmother taught those lessons, that your mom and your dad have pointed you in the right direction. And, and now your wife and your, dad, your father-in-law and all of those people it's a good circle, and you can talk to your colleagues about it. And as you said um, about your daughter, the business aspect of being a YouTuber, I think it's important that we stress that cricketers understand the business aspect of being a cricketer as well, because each individual cricketer is a business within them within their own selves. You are Ian Bishop LLC. You are up for contracts. You're going from league to league doing commentary. The same thing with me as a player and every other player, commentator, yes. groundsman, coach, whatever the case is. So you have to spend that time educating yourself, investing in yourself, not only now as a player, but going forward because this the world is so, it's so open, it's so small now with the advent of the internet that people can get educated, as you said, just through YouTube, you can learn how to invest in stocks, in bonds, things that appreciate over time real estate, so many different things that by the time you retire, yeah. you can transition smoothly because life after cricket is much longer than life in cricket. And even if you play up until 40, you still hopefully yes. plan to live, as the Bible said, three score and 10, which is 70. Three score and 10. So you've still got another 30 years of life to live. And, and that money that you've made from cricket cannot sustain you throughout the rest of your life. So ultimately... The way I look at life is it doesn't matter how yeah. great you are as a cricketer or as an athlete. If yeah. that is what you are known for only throughout the course of your life, you have not done yourself justice because you would have lived more time outside of being a professional athlete outside than actually it. being a professional yes. athlete. Solid, solid, solid. Uh, we call it the university of the internet, the university of Google, where you can learn anything. And I was sitting with a colleague, one of your colleagues as well, just yesterday, and we talked about being your own brand. Everything that you do, from the way you dress, what you post on the internet and social media, that is part of your branding. And I want to speak to all young cricketers now. Whatever you post on social media, reaches to the US, reaches to India, reaches to Sri Lanka, reaches to Australia, and it is a reflection on your own brand. Be very careful 
and be very positive in what you post because teams are looking not only at numbers, K, and you know this, they are also, for example, in the IPL, looking at your character, your ability to blend into their franchise and create something within the boundary and beyond the boundary. It's not only about numbers anymore. So I want to speak to young players and tell them that. Let's, let's, let's move into some cricket now, but more so into your career. Um, <clears throat> oh, Lord. Having made your first class and list day debut in 1986, very fast ascension to international honors. Two years, 1988, one-day debut, 1989, test debut. I think I've found something that, you know, stood out to me, though. On test debut, you batted at number six. Um, oh, in a team with Gordon Greenwich, Viv Richards and Richie Richardson, Ian Bishop batted at number six. Um, did your batting deteriorate that quickly or did your bowling develop <laughs> exponentially? I'm trying to figure out which one it was. There was there's a good reason for that. And your, 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 your Eastern Caribbean <laughs> colleague and elder statesman, Kirtley Ambrose, much to his chagrin, always reminds me that numbers never lie, but that number lied because it was my first test match and Kirtley had been doing Night Watchman previously before I got into the team. He was in the team before me. And then because I was an opening batsman at school and I used to try to play as straight as possible, I couldn't hit the ball anyway, but I tried to play as straight as possible. I got in and Clive Lloyd said, first test match, Night Watchman required in Guyana against India. Ian Bishop, you're in. Kirtley was upset because he was doing the job efficiently until then. So the only reason I went in at number six was because I went in at night watch one. Um... Thank you for joining us on the Power Play podcast, hosted by Kyron Powell and Jordan Shannon. We hope you enjoyed this immersive dive into the world of cricket and business, exploring the unique experiences and perspectives of players past and present alongside those invaluable insights into intriguing business themes that transcend beyond the boundaries of sporting heroics. Be sure to set your reminders on your Alexa or Google Home device. Or we won't tell anyone if you still use those paper calendar things from a bygone era. Join us next time for more inspiring dialogue with scintillating minds on the Power Play podcast.